0: It's a fool, it's a father. Hey, hey everybody and welcome back to Happier Here podcast with Lauren Burgert. I'm your host Lauren and welcome to episode 16 y'all. Uh, we took a break last week for a little gratitude week. Um, so thank you to everyone who shared your gratitude stories. It was just such a positive and uplifting week of gratitude during the week of Thanksgiving. So, so excited to be back and really excited for our guest today. We have Cindy O'Neill on the podcast. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Cindy. She She's a proud 47-year-old biracial woman who is a wife of a military veteran, mother of six, and grandmother to two. She spends her days serving as a speech-language pathologist, serving children with various communicative, cognitive, feeding, and swallowing issues. She has proudly been involved with this work for nearly 20 years and has served individuals across the lifespan, hoping to effect meaningful change in their life and for those who support them. Cindy is also a proud member of LAUNCH, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to early exposure to healthcare careers for children and adolescents, especially those in underserved communities, in hopes to inspire and ignite various passions. She also recently partnered with Brown Beauty Magic Royal Events when her daughter joined their cast. Cindy is passionate about destigmatizing mental health concerns across the lifespan and improving health literacy in underserved communities. I am so, so excited for Cindy to be here today and for you all to hear her story. So without further ado, let's just hop on into it. Well, hello, Cindy, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hello, my pleasure.
0: (laughs) Well, why don't we just start by you introducing yourself, telling us who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there
1: sounds good well my name is cindy o'neill um, i'm actually very acquainted with miss lauren the founder of the podcast um knew her mommy before she was ever even thought of actually <laughs> so i'm very proud to be a part of this um i am a 47 year old very proud 47 year old woman mother of six a wife of a combat veteran um I'm a medical speech language pathologist I've been practicing for over 20 years just in the field of communicative disorders, um, which also extends to feeding swallowing disorders. I work now with kids um, in the pediatric setting with autism, complex medical disease, um, but I have helped patients and their families really throughout the entire lifespan. So essentially from birth to death um, in the rehabilitation
0: space. Wow, that's amazing. What got you interested in in that? That's such like a specific career path. So like what kind of sparked your interest there?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I've been out of school so long, I don't know if this is still a part of a uh, high school curriculum, but yeah. we had like a career inventory and essentially just took a test where you pop in your interests mm-hmm. and speech language pathology came out and I thought, what is this? And I'll be honest, people to this day are like, what is that?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> but when I started researching it and uh, understanding what it was more about, which really is that communication is a human right mm-hmm. and it should be achievable and accessible to all. all. So just kind of starting there and the field within which I help kids and adults who, for a variety of reasons, end up having communication difficulties, um, it really is a human right. So um, just became very passionate about helping.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So did you just get your um, bachelor's or did you have to get a master's degree for this? What's kind of the route for speech pathology?
1: yeah so it uh, you the minimum entry degree is a master's degree um and then it's followed by a year of clinical fellowship so it's essentially six years of education and a year of clinical fellowship Um, with clinical stuff really going on the entire uh education piece and you have to take comprehensive exams you have to do oral defense um lots of lots of stuff but it's been very rewarding that's
0: awesome that's awesome where did you get your degrees from
1: so I am live in the state of Georgia currently, but I am an Iowa cornfed corn fed girl like you. And I received my undergrad from Augustana College there. And then did my graduate work near Chicago and Northern Illinois University in DeKalb.
0: I don't even think I knew that.
1: You probably did.
0: Oh that. my goodness. Wow, <laughs> I'm learning something new. That's so amazing. That's awesome. Um, so in your intro, you talked about being a wife to a military veteran. Um talk a little bit about that experience I mean not a lot of people um I mean a lot of people are familiar with the military but I think it's it's interesting to get kind of the perspective of a wife of a vet too so how is that kind it of is. for you guys um I
1: had well and I had some scattered experience with family members here and there but no one's so close and personal that it, like touched my everyday life uh-huh. um so it was a big big adjustment um really like the statistics out there, like 1% of the population even joins the military. Um, And as much as we certainly deserve, they deserve all of our honor and our praise, you know, and applause to do and make the sacrifice. There's no doubt that the family supports them. And so there's a sacrifice on the part of yourself, um, knowing if you're going to have children, what that might mean for them. And then oftentimes spouses are moved away from their families. So you have to look at, they always say, kind of that um, home is where the military sends you. So you really if you're an introvert, or if you've never really been outside of where you're from, where you're, you know, inner family circle, it can really be a struggle finding people that you really trust to support you on the journey when your spouse is deployed, for example, and my husband um, was in special operations. So he deployed for short periods of time, but very, very frequently. So the first uh, four years of our marriage, even he was deployed seven times, I remember. And, and definitely moved away from my support system and struggled a lot. But, you know, if that's something we end up getting into today, it become, became a big part of even my faith journey, just kind of being on my own, yeah. trying to figure out and navigate not only doing this without my partner, but in a, a system that I really didn't quite understand. Like there's acronyms and terminology and lots mm-hmm. of stuff within the military that uh, really required a lot of me. So I, I think the military does a good job. Of trying to support families. Um, yes. But I am very passionate about not just the veterans, but the wives and the children. I, they're very near and dear to my heart and some unique challenges and ways to help. By kind of working in a, a career of service, I think that's maybe just part of how the good Lord wired me is to yes. take challenges that I face and find ways to help other people. Sometimes you don't just go through things for yourself, you really go through for other people. Um, and the best way to almost... Uh, free yourself is sometimes helping other people through things where there was no one to really help you and it really does free you and speaks to your heart and your spirit when you can impart and uplift other people you know and be there for them when you wish someone would have been there for you or could have been
0: yeah absolutely yeah so when you guys first got married and he got deployed were you in georgia at the time were you still in iowa where did you guys kind of go on that journey because you guys met in iowa right
1: yeah we're high school sweethearts so we actually met years and years and years ago and his, fo- his folks were in the military and they were stationed okay. at the Rock Island Arsenal, where we're from. Okay. Um, and so we're crazy about each other, attended all the dances together. He escorted me to homecoming, um, went to each other's senior prom, and then school took him away. His parents uh, got stationed elsewhere. And then so life kind of took us where it did. And then we reconnected 13 years later. So when we got married, I actually moved um, and became a military wife very quickly And so I left my support and I started actually my military journey as a wife in Kentucky.
0: Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How was that? How you said it was kind of rough on your faith and getting married, moving away from your support system, going immediately into military wife duties. Like how was that?
1: It it was a big deal. And, and, you know, you almost have to shrink what you think of as your, not just ego, but, you know, when you're married to someone in the military, I mean, they're an American hero. So as much as I thought I was all bad and big and had this degree and first generation college graduate on both sides of my family, um, you know, it required a lot of just humility, um, a lot of trust, a lot of faith, Um, you know, and I know faith looks like a lot of different things to different people. Um, I think I mentioned real briefly before we got started officially today, I, you know, listened to one of the episodes with a very good friend of mine, Amy Mose a couple of weeks ago and just heard her talk a lot about her journey through faith. Um, and it really is just, it's a destination and it's such an individual thing for everybody. It doesn't matter if it's a religious per se, quote unquote, and doctrine and things. I think we're all, I think everyone can really attest to that. We're spiritual beings um, and we're on a spiritual journey and that what faith really means is that you, there's something bigger than you, that's driving you, your purpose, your destiny. Yes, you make these free will choices, um, but there really is something there pushing you um, and guiding you. And, and I do believe certainly in God um, and that faith the size of a mustard seed. And sometimes that mustard seed faith has to really take you a long way. Um, and there's a lot of tears. There's doubt. Um, yeah. There is questioning. I think that one thing I heard Amy talk a lot about is thinking that, you know, God is something to be feared. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes you, you hear things like, oh, I'm afraid to ask too much or I've been disobedient. He's not obligated to help me. And I just think being part of something bigger in general and part of the spirit realm, if you will, that there, when you put good out, you are going to get good back. I, I just really do believe that. I know some people call that karma, whatever you call it, but <laughs> uh, it, it required a lot of faith, though. I felt very alone a lot. Um, and then here I am, a mother and a wife who, you know, wives worry about their husbands are going to come home, um, husbands and wives. You know, women are in the military as well. So, you know, just that, that faith, even that my spouse was going to come home, that he was going to be safe. And that I could do this. I wasn't sure there was times I could do it. I had good friends tell me um, sometimes when we had our last baby and he left three weeks before we thought um, he was going to have to leave. I hadn't even gone back to work yet. Baby hadn't been in daycare. Um, And I have four kids and it was by myself. And I had a very good friend tell me, oh, it's going to be okay." And I'm like, it's not okay today, right now. It's not okay." Um, And I think it's okay. It's okay to be that vulnerable to say, what does being okay really look like? It's a journey for sure.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Four kids. Your husband leaves three weeks before he's supposed to. I can't even imagine. Like that. Yeah. That takes faith, like you said. <laughs> <First>. faith, right? <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. And so not only, you know, are you worried and um thinking about all the you know the possibilities of what could happen when he's away but you also still have to have that mother hat on and taking care of your kiddos taking care of the fears they may have too like how was that navigating both being a mom being a working mom being a military wife like juggling all of those things how was how was that journey I I think I
1: really learned, you know, I know self-care is such a big buzzword and I like to kind of take it a step further because I think you have to even love yourself, uh, be secure in yourself before you even know how to truly do self-care. I mean, caring is important, but there's so much more in that. And again, identifying with what self means and it, it just taught me a lot about myself. I had to not necessarily just reinvent myself, but I think when you, you know, when you realize there's other people counting on you. Yeah. Um, looking towards you. I mean, it can be a lot of pressure, yeah. um, but you do have to on the, along those lines, definitely spend some time loving up on yourself and caring for yourself so that you can be, th- I mean, we talk about being the best version of yourself for other people and showing up for people, which is hard to do when you're kind of operating from half of a cup. So I'm sure there were days I wasn't the best mom. I probably was short on patience, um, but I did try to enlist the help with good friends. I tried to be vulnerable and open when I could. Um, I think there's times that there's things that military families encounter that even your best of friends, your mom included, you know, try their best to understand. But it's like a lot of things. It's hard to necessarily completely understand if you haven't walked in their shoes. Um, But we can do a lot to be empathetic towards each other. So I did try to rely on friends and family just to kind of uplift me. Um, Did a lot of journaling. That's when I really I do like to write poetry anyway. So I kind of always find when I'm up against, my back's kind of up against a wall or I'm feeling like I don't know what to do. I just really, you know, go to those things that speak to your spirit. And I think that's one thing for self-care that, you know, people definitely need to realize it isn't just, can you go get a pedicure or can you do massages. like, what things speak to your spirit? If it's playing, I heard you playing the guitar and learn to talk yourself how to play happy birthday. I mean, they might be small things to other people, but um, that's what I can appreciate even about the space that you've created is, your authentic journey, your story, your destination to get there. It has value. It has meaning. It doesn't have to be like anybody else's. Right.
0: Right. Oh, those little things. And like, I know it's so, it's so hard, especially like me being a therapist and training of like, Oh, self-care. Like, what does it look like? And to some people, like you said, it's going to get a pedicure, but sometimes it's an app. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's going to like (laughs) be that person for others, you know, whatever it is like, yeah, we need to, we need to find those things. And yeah. And
1: yeah. Yes, ma'am. And working with kids and their families—I mean, I work in a career of service. You're embarking on the same.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, my military journey—I mean, it just really helped reinforce what I do professionally, and then vice versa. I mean, you're caring for other people and trying to talk to them about how to keep themselves positive and going. A lot of times, when I see pediatrics and outpatients, I'll tell parents, "Go to the car, relax for 30 minutes." I mean, sometimes they need to be in the sessions, and we educate them about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I'm like take this time to just go sit and do if it's nothing just do nothing but give yourself even just that mental break and i think you know of course in this day and age and go 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 even if it's just taking 15 minutes to sit and do nothing you know i'm not sure some people i know could do that they'd say what am i gonna do that's the point get get in tune with yourself and i'm not someone who professes yoga i don't understand all the ins and outs but i can really appreciate some of what it brings my husband um When he was getting out of the military uh, joint, he was a part of an inpatient program and they talked a lot about um, yoga and they did a lot of things to help them feed their spirit and heal. And so I think that getting quiet, getting still kind of stuff is very important for sure.
0: Yeah. People that do yoga, I tried it for a little while. I like it, but it's also like really hard. It's like, real yes, it hard too. I'm like everyone's in there and looks so peaceful and I'm like sweating to death. I'm like, this is so hard. Like, how do you, how do you do this? But- yeah. And
1: if you're someone like I, you know, I don't wear like a, a badge of anything other than just, it's a part of my journey. I have a long, long line of mental health issues in my family. I've struggled with it. And so I think it was even harder for me, like if you're an overthinker and you're go, 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 those those things are great motivators to be self-motivated and get you far in your career. But when it's time to dial that back, it's like, oh boy, the more I sit and try to think about nothing, I'm just I'm really my mind's running crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, seriously. Oh my goodness. Um, I hear you bring up the topic of mental health. I wanted to ask about that. Um, I think we know as a society, a lot of people that return home after Fighting in the war, fighting in combat, um, do deal with like a lot of mental health concern. Did you guys have to battle any of that? I heard you say something about like an inpatient program. And you just mentioned that like mental health is a big part of your journey. Um, how Have you guys kind of navigated that as a family? Um, I mean, it's, you know, we try to be open and honest about it. Um, I think,
1: you know, individual men, women, however you identify, I mean, we all kind of go through our lives and our journeys with how vulnerable we are and how much we want to share and, oh, is it taboo? And soldiers particularly, I guess I would say, wearing their emotions on their sleeve, they really can't. So that goes the, that goes the other way when it's time to maybe confront and address yeah. um, what's going on. I mean, we've definitely dealt with some things. I mean, I think some of it is my husband's own personal journey, so I wouldn't dare share some of that. But being impacted by what that is um, as his wife and his children, I think there's a lot of times the kids don't understand exactly what's happening Um, I don't think many people can kind of understand and get inside of the mind of a soldier, what that fight or flight is like. And it's really hard for them to turn the fight off. Um, so, you know, obviously when there's dangers that aren't really real, it's hard for them to really decipher what's real and what isn't. Um, we did have some really good professionals help us navigate that. Um, some neurologists, some other people who really spoke to the soldiers to talk to them a lot about what it does to you to encounter those kinds of things. So, you know, I think with me coming into it, um, I, because I've had my own struggles with mental health, then I already had a level of anxiety. Um, kind of was, wasn't really an only child, but had some wayward experiences and got myself out here where I was kind of functioning and living and trying to figure out life like a child on my own. So it taught me some reserve and some resolve, like kind of matching my anxiety with his. I mean, it was just sometimes I'll be honest, it was a really a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 reason I'm real passionate about some specific things with combat veterans. I mean, I think we've all maybe heard some of the statistics like 22 a day um, with veterans who commit suicide. Um, uh, and then again, I just, I don't know what the wives and children in statistics there, but like our children have been in therapy. I mean, I'm very transparent about that. I have been in and out, but not just stuff related to him. It's also just us trying to figure out how to navigate our loved one who just happens to have these eccentricities that came with a war and you know, interestingly enough, I mean, I think the wounds of war, most people think of the physical ones, but there's so many mental that it is hard to kind of step outside of their heads a little bit. So you try to give them, you know, space and try to let them as long as they're willing to kind of work it. I think you have to be honest with yourself and your vet that you are going to need some help and that's okay. And we're here to support you along your journey. Um, But it is important that you try to work this and not just kind of, you know, on a secondary level, just let life take you because you really have to be pretty deliberate about the fact that it's a huge transition. My husband has actually since gotten out of the military. So not only did we deal with, um, you know, re- deploying and all those other things that come with it, long days, long nights, mm-hmm. then there's a transition back out of a life where that's all you knew for 20 years. And essentially, basically, people gave you your marching orders to told you when you could go, where you could go, how you do it. Yeah. Um, and you really didn't have control over your own life. So it is a very unique profession in that sense that you have to die to self. I mean they have kind of seven pillars that they adhere to and one is definitely selfless service. Mm -hmm. And I mean I'm very proud of him for that. He he embodies that kind of just as a man. So it's been very nice to be around.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I I, it makes me really glad to hear that they had such good like mental health treatment after coming out and like the resources for that. Because I know a lot of the time you hear like some people just don't get it. They come home and it's like Fend for yourself. So I think that is amazing that they yeah. have that. Are you guys seeing like more? I know you guys are a military family, so you kind of have the inside scoop. Are you seeing more um, emphasis on kind of destigmatizing mental health in that community? And what has kind of your experience been?
1: Yeah, I think there definitely
0: is. I've tried to be
1: an advocate and passionate, you know, and put my passion into it. and search out programs locally and the government I mean the military does have lots of programs when you're active duty and retired it can be hard to find and I think part of what happens is there's a lot of spouses that don't work for a lot of reasons I mean we just talked about when your spouse is deployed you're the only other one there you got three or four kids it's hard to navigate a full-time job too so for a lot of reasons women and or just spouses in general can become very isolated to either get out to meet new people and or to be exposed to what is out there so, you know, I'm very passionate myself about outreach and I've worked in community action, actually, between undergrad and graduate school um, as a side. Um, and I, you know, I just really understand and can appreciate the importance of people just don't know what services are out there. So it makes it feel even more isolating. So, I mean, I'm seeing more and more. I think we've all heard of Wounded Warriors. There's lots of lots of organizations. Um I think just like an, on a national level, it's just important to understand at your local level, though, how do you get access to services immediately? How do you get the help? There is a um, resource called Military One Source, and it's a really a good resource. Some people don't know about it. It's been something I've used over the years, and it's a 1-800 number, but you just look at Military One Source online, and you can go and at least get a number to call. And it's kind of a clearinghouse yeah. um, to be able to call and get and, you know, access to lots and lots of resources for the veteran or the active duty member, um, the wives, the children, including counseling, yeah. um, medical care if necessary. So there, there definitely are some things. The other thing um, most active duty spouses would know, I would hope, is there is an organization called um, ACS and it's Army Community Service. Mm. And it's on every military installation in the United States, at least I know of. Um, and you can go to your local ACS on the respective base that your loved one is assigned to and get services through them as well.
0: That's amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really is like people just don't know, just don't know about yeah. what's out there and what's available. And so, yeah, it just takes individuals like yourself telling people like, yes. these are the places you go, y'all. So that's yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and able to share all of that. I think it's amazing. And I know it's not easy and it's hard and it's a battle. I think mental health, spiritual journey, whatever kind of health we're talking about, emotional, physical, spiritual, like it's, it's a lifelong journey and you're going to constantly be navigating it, but you guys are doing amazing.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and I guess the other thing kind of to piggyback off when you think about the mental health part, like, you know, I know you're going into a, a profession and are currently really in it of service and because I have been in for 20 years, I'm really passionate about sharing with younger people getting into a lifetime of service that you have to kind of be long suffering, you have to know that when you're helping others, as much as it does really serve you and gives you life. And of course, we all want to get paid, but they could pay you millions of dollars. But I can tell you 20 years later, it's not just the money, like you have to have a passion for it. But in having that, you have to really be mindful about taking that time for yourself, too, because you're hearing lots of people's lives, their stories, to kind of be an empathetic listener, to be there to help and to care, but not absorb those things into your own spirit so much. You're like, wow. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a battle, but I think it's something you have to be cognizant about early on, about being deliberate with your exercise, with things that just help you release. Um, because we deal with a life of service. We're not dealing with just numbers. And we certainly need people to do that. Uh, but when you're dealing with human beings, we know the complexities and intricacies of individuals. So it yeah. can be a lot. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, real passionate about my profession. We, you know, touched on it a little bit. But, um, you know, as a speech pathologist, it, like I said, people sometimes are like, what is that exactly? Yeah, what is it? Yeah, and tell us about what our tit- you I, Yeah, yeah. I mean, our speech language pathologist is actually my title, and oh my in God. and of itself, we hear the speech, we hear the language. It's really all communication, uh-huh. um, you know, but there's so much more to communication than words, right? There's yeah. nonverbal, there's body language. Um, you know, obviously, I'm closer to 50, so I can remember a time when phones didn't exist. <laughs> um, and it, and as much as I do appreciate technology, you know, the communication message is certainly impacted by texting and social yeah. media. and. And so I've struggled with that a little bit on trying to navigate, you know, as a communication professional, how that may or may not impact what I do, um, and just seeing what it's done to the threat of families and people, how they communicate. Um, but, but as a speech pathologist, we, um, you know, again, help anybody who's had difficulties as a result of strokes, um, Alzheimer's disease, which is just one type of dementia. It's kind of a passion of mine, the different dementing illnesses yeah. Um, motor vehicle accidents, um, but we also work with swallowing, which is actually one of my first loves of my profession is swallowing rehabilitation. Oh, so, so if I have someone who's had head and neck cancer, um, mm-hmm. someone who's fallen hitting their head and they get what we call subdural hematomas mm-hmm. um, causes brain altering um, illnesses that impact swallowing and communication.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we We are the ones that kind of rehabilitate all the musculature so that people can swallow safely for adequate nutrition but not choke to death essentially and so we do that from birth to death we work with individuals across the lifespan with that
0: wow that's incredible I did yeah, not, yeah I'm learning something new I did not know like when you think about it, it's like oh I'm gonna come into the schools and like help with like language but that's like so that's much- right
1: yeah that's right and that's a part of it that's a part of it. Like, yeah. In the schools we do we work with kids too that don't hear like I have a little girl who's got cochlear implants so she was born deaf mm-hmm. um so helping her learn how to recognize speech sounds from other sounds, and then form whether it's sign language or learn how to verbalize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then, yeah, in the schools, you work with kids who have reading and language disabilities, and how language has impacted the way they read and write and spell. Um, and then in the private sector, like I said, working currently without patients,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I work with lots of kids on the autistic spe- on the spectrum. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, lots and lots of kids, and the big you know one of the number one things that kids on the spectrum really experienced, isn't always just delayed communication. It's what we call pragmatic challenges. And so those are more social, emotional challenges. And that can come from whether it's trauma, it can come from an immature, social emotionally developed system. If you're premature babies, wow. um, I've seen babies that were born as early as 23, 24 weeks. Wow. Um, I'm st- they're still getting rehabilitation into their five, six, seven years of age because they're kind of delayed globally. Yeah. So the the pragmatic or the social part for a lot of the kids on the spectrum becomes kind of understanding eye contact, understanding when to say what. I mean, we might describe those kids as socially awkward. Yeah. I would we call we we like to refer to those children as neurodiverse, yeah. which we really are all neurodiverse.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so it's just it's been a very rewarding profession and really within the context of being a military wife what's been beneficial for me is, you know, spouses, you know, if we pick up and have to move. It's yeah. not always easy to find a job, but thankfully um, in the healthcare professions, we typically tend to tend to be able to find jobs pretty pretty easily. So I've always had a job really before we ever landed at our next duty station. So
0: that's amazing. So have you been in like different settings like school settings, hospital settings? i heard you say outpatient? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. been in
1: oh goodness, I've managed kind of inpatient treatment um, rehab, okay. outpatient. I've done home health. I've worked in the school setting. Um, worked in skilled nursing facilities, which are like subacute rehab. Um, and then now, most recently, outside of the school system, that in um, private outpatient pediatrics. And so most of those kids have medical complexities, lots of syndromes, Down syndrome, autism, um, kids who have dyslexia, dysgraphia, which is issues with writing, um, learning disabilities globally, um, cerebral palsy, just lots and lots of different um, conditions that really require lifelong rehabilitation, honestly. Um, and, and, you know, and kind of in that regard, here I am a biracial woman, which I do identify myself as, that's kind of a whole other topic we get into. Um, my, my profession is really underrepresented, um, yeah. and it has been over the years, it's growing, um, but a very, very small portion of the population I serve, do they get to see therapists that look like me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm on the lighter end of the spectrum, so. Um, but I'm real passionate about that too. I mean, I do belong to a couple organizations. One in particular called Launch, I was
0: gonna um, ask about which that, you could go yeah. to.
1: Yeah, you could you could go to launchagusta.com. Um, but it's really it's an organization of other healthcare professionals. We've got pediatric neonatologists who work with babies who are really sick in utero, um, dentists, anesthesiologists, um, flight paramedics, myself, audiologists, like. It really, what it stands for is um, Leaders and Adolescents Uniting um, for Careers in Healthcare. Um, And so what our aim is, is to give early exposure to kids um, about all the different career paths, give them good information about how to get into school, what it entails, setting them up with financial information on how to pay for school, how to test, take, study. And really one thing that kind of sets us apart is we really predicate ourselves on hands-on. So it isn't just sitting in a classroom and hearing a lecture. You, we, we've got Launch Academy, which is there's four Saturdays um, throughout the year, uh, January through April, where the kids, they had to go through an application process, but then they're at one of our local hospitals. Um, last year, they got to actually take, they, they themselves got on and off, like the flight uh, that came in when you're on the different medical flights. Mm-hmm. They've been in the operating room. But the, the aim of it, in, in addition to Launch Academy, we have a camp Um, and so on at that camp and any of these activities that we offer, even some after school programs, we make sure that we have labs where they get hands on. So whatever your respective profession is, you find a way to make it very, very hands on so that they can not only shadow, but really, really understand through using whether it's the tools of your trade or what have you, um, exposing them to careers in healthcare and just letting them see people that look like them and knowing that it's possible, not just, Oh, there's a doctor. It looks like me or Um, You know, there's just so much out there with healthcare disparities. And I think in the medical community in general, there's a lot of mistrust sometimes. Um, So all that stuff, I'm very, very passionate about just access to healthcare and um, promoting diversity in the professions for sure.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my goodness. So are a lot of the, um, are all of the like medical professionals, like people of color, or is it just like a wide range of people that are like working there we
1: are definitely open to lots you know anybody and everybody and we've certainly had folks all across ethnic and cultural backgrounds um but there's no doubt that some of our heart really is into um underserved communities and communities we know that we're at at vulnerability And, and you know if you think there's health disparities just from that certain point there's definitely disparities sometimes with just the outreach you know i think a lot of people think that the healthcare professions are terribly expensive to get into and they can be i mean it's being honest Um, but, you know, letting them know that, I mean, through your natural intelligence and what your passion is, that it really is achievable. It just requires hard work. And if I can do it and come from what I came from, which is nothing. I mean, I really came from nothing when it comes, you know, my parents really never were together. And, and, you know, that's just part of my story. It is what it is. It's, you know, you learn to embrace your story and be confident in who you are and where you came from. But there's no doubt I have very, very humble beginnings. So I'm very passionate about being able to show people that, you know coming from humble beginnings it's definitely not where you start it's kind of how you finish it. and what you take with the lemons that life gave you right you could you know get sour about it or make some lemonade so Absolutely.
0: that's amazing <laughs> yeah and i i heard you mentioned in your um talking about launch you kind of talked a little bit about your biracial identity as well
1: i did yeah <laughs>
0: um that being a big part of who you are and also like being able to show people like yeah i'm a person of color in this field i can do it but also I know it's hard being biracial. It's hard being a person that identifies with two different worlds. And I know that's kind of been a part of your journey too.
1: It has. And you know, my daughters, it's interesting. I have uh, four daughters, two bonus and two girls in the house with me still and kind of seeing them go through it. Right. I mean, we yeah. kind of are all over the the place with our double blended family and our backgrounds. Um, so we have different hues to our skin tone. And, you know, my one daughter in particular is really pretty bright and, you know, she, she dealt with some things, both of my daughters have. And so kind of understanding, you know, that their journey is not mine. I don't have to live vicariously through them, but it's kind of interesting that 20, 30 years later, there's still some very uh, similar things that they experience. I, cause I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with, I identify as a woman of color. I'm very proud to be. And I'm also very, very proud of my mother, very proud of my mother. She, you know, by all intents and purposes of the world, is not a college educated woman. that didn't matter to me. she, I said this when I delivered her eulogy, your mom knows this too, that, um, you know, I feel like she had the capacity to love without conditions, like someone I've never met before and coming from all the adversity she faced to still be able to have such an exuberant spirit to me, that's what it's all about. I'm not leaving this earth with these credentials yeah. with anything on my back when I go, but I do know, you know, I mean, there's those old adages that people will remember how you made them feel and, um, so, you know, I'm very proud of her and, uh, you know, I have pictures of her. I've lost her early and that, uh, you know, it's another organization I'm real passionate about, which is the American Heart Association. I lost her to heart failure um, and managed kind of a prolonged illness and had to uh, manage her healthcare for two years while she was slowly leaving us and lost my dad to COVID um, during COVID. So, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about just even my racial identity and being proud of both of my parents. And I, you know, I was telling my daughter, she's at an organization where not very many people look like her. Um, being as light as she is, she was in a room full of all brown girls, and she is a brown girl, just a lighter brown girl. But she was intimidated by that. And you know, sometimes I feel like I've either had to almost pull out my black card to prove that I was black, like ooh, because my daddy's this color or this. And you know, I told my daughter, I'm like, you shouldn't have to march your whole family tree in front of somebody to prove that you belong. Yeah, and and I think you can get a little bit of hypervigilance, a little bit of PTSD from it. That not really knowing who to trust or how people are looking at you. What are you, girl? Or just different things. I mean, it's not about that, but it's such a big part of your, you know, when you're coming up and you're a teenager and you're trying to identify just as a human being and who you are and who am I and what do I stand for, what I believe in. You know, and I just do find that sometimes a lot of it is what people project onto you. So you have to really. You know, have someone real solid in your family, your mom, your, in your corner to really give you a strong foundation of who you are is rooted in who you know you are, not what anyone else says you are, not by the color of your skin, not by what you come from, what you don't have, you know, you deserve to be here, um, your story's valid, so I was telling my daughters about being a part of this one, I was so honored is, you know, the space you create is just each individual person's story is unique and has value, and again, it has nothing to do with the material things around you, it's you know, something I know you and your mom feel very passionate about too. And that's living intentionally and understanding what that really means and being present. Yeah. Um, so, you know, under the context of the color of your skin, I think it's it's something we wear, right? We can't take it off. Yeah. Um, but just like the lack thereof of any melanin, I mean, we have melanin, but ours is a little lighter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had people say to my daughter even before, like, "Oh, you should go, you should go get some sun. Well, to me, I'll be honest, I find that just as offensive if someone was to tell you know, someone, another person of color to go do X, Y, or Z. Like, I just don't appreciate it. And I've said, you know, the color of her skin is the color it is. That's beautiful the way it is. And uh, she doesn't need any sun. Thank you. Right.
0: right. (laughs) It is so crazy. Like, I don't know if people know how genetics work. Like there's people that have the same mother, same father and have completely different skin tones, completely different hair textures. Yes. Yes. Genetics, you know? And so it is. And I feel like how we're growing in our society too. people are becoming more and more racially ambiguous. And it's like, we're just living in that world that like you half the time people don't know what I am still they're like are you Hispanic are you what are you and I'm like I'm I'm just here you know like it's just I'm Lauren right like yeah right (laughs) oh my goodness and I feel like with social media too um I think I would I when I was growing up like it was just the beginning phases of like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that. But now like kids are so immersed in TikTok and and Instagram and all of that. And there's so much of a pressure from social media, I think too. How has that been navigating that with your girls? Cause I'm I'm like, how old are they now? They're like grown. I feel like I see the picture of them the other day and I'm like, wait, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. 16 and 13 are the girls. And of course there's boys too, but so they're right in the middle of teenage pressures and and like they both, I mean, they do have different texture hair, and so you know when you get into school, it's do you wear it straight? Do you not? Do you embrace your curls? And people will say you shouldn't wear it like that, or yeah. you know, it's just interesting because even like body type, like, like right, like we're sisters through and through, and we've got certain attributes that look like sisters, and then others that don't. But you know, you don't need that overanalyzed. But that you're right with social media on top of just identity, yep. you know, racial and ethnic identity is just one part of how we identify and and you know, i think it's important to you don't have to put all your stock in it even you yourself depending on if other people rejected on you or not just one part of who you are it doesn't have to be the biggest part of the, the part that you speak the loudest from but you also need to be proud of it as well so you know it's interesting too moving from the north to the south because i live in georgia now like i mean some of the earliest obviously origins in our country of african american and caucasian relations are they're not good and they they originated in the south and, you know, growing up North, I mean, people even to this day, like, you're from where? Iowa? They're like, there's Black people there? I'm like, yes, there are. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, but down South, I mean, their folks are on either end of the spectrum, very, very polarized with their views towards each other. And, you know, there's times for me since it's kind of been my whole life's identity to, I, I was raised by my mom's side of the family, the Caucasian, the white side, and but was very involved with my dad's side. Um, so i know I, i'm sure i lived a different way with the way just things went on in my household yeah. um but you know by this time at 47 years of age living through again with my children and through social media you know i'm kind of ready for the conversation to take a little bit of a shift from more just black and white relations to human relations and people really showing each other common courtesy having mutual respect for each other um, being kind to one another um, and there's times where you know i feel like we do need spaces where more spiritual leaders, not necessarily religious, but people from a spirit, faith-based background, you know, speak more from our spirit. I mean, we're, we're all in this human race together. I mean, we really are. We might not think we need each other or that we're in this together, but there's so many things that can be polarizing that people almost feel like oh, I'm in this group, that group, and I'm not going to step outside and... I just think all of that is dividing us. And I just think our differences are really meant to develop us as human beings, not divide us, but it's just how you use your platform um, and what your real aim is. If it is to just, con- you know, I think we all know there's spaces that we need for people that look like us because we haven't had that. And I think those are very, very important. I just also think it's equally important to have people who are courageous enough to wanna reach across the aisle, so to speak, and be willing to have those tough conversations and have the real communication that's necessary to cause real change.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we de- we definitely yes. need that in our world today. <laughs> we need community and togetherness and just a little bit of love for just like the human spirit. Because no matter what's what right. going on on the outside, we all are the same inside and we're... We're all in this together. And I feel like, yeah, we need each other more than ever right now. Yes,
1: We all bleed red and our hearts all beat the same. And when that heart stops beating, it stops beating. So we're all going to, we're going to leave this earth at one point. So it really is. What you do between those dashes, so to speak. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for just sharing. You've shared so much. And I'm just so thankful for you coming on here and sharing your story and all of the things that you are passionate about, your career, your family, mental health. Um, you're you're doing it. You're doing a lot. And I'm so <laughs> like just happy to know you. Um, and yeah, is there anything you would like? to leave the people with any words of wisdom, any last minute gems that you want to drop?
1: (laughs) Uh, I just, I think patience really is a virtue and I know it gets overlooked and we're in such a world where it is so easy to be in the hustle and bustle and you're on your phone and there's social media to check. But again, along with your living intentionally which I know is so important to you and your mom for so many specific reasons, I think we've got to be patient with ourselves and we need to be patient with each other. And I think patience is a real starting point to opening up the door to mutual respect and kindness and consideration. Um, And just really getting back to people knowing that they need each other and understanding it really is okay to need people. And even people that might not look like you or that you came from, they're not blood. Um, But just being open to the fact that people do care. And, And if you sow a little bit of just a little bit of kindness you know, it really can go a long way to speak in other people's lives. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for being here. I'm so, so thankful for you and your story and your family. Um, I'm just so happy to have you here.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with all your future endeavors with the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.